Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Amen. So good to see you this morning. Welcome. If we haven't met, my name is Brad, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at the park. Maybe it's your first time with us or first time in a while. I would invite you. You can find a seat, or maybe it's next to you. There's like what we call the Connect card. We would love for you to fill that out for us. We want to connect with you. We want to help you in any way that we can and uh, get to know you just a little bit better. So if you fill that out, you drop it off at the rug that's in the back here. We call that the rug where we have you covered with all the information you need. Drop that off. We'd love to give you a gift card for being with us today. So thanks so much for being here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's going to be our base text for this morning. Uh, But we're going to kind of be all over the place today and a little bit of a different message this morning as we are in between series and today being a special Sunday. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read verse 36 through the end of that book together. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. One of the things that I have loved that has become a tradition at the park very quickly is to recite together or to read together after we take communion the Apostles' Creed. What's a creed, you might ask? It's a summation of our beliefs to say this is what we hold true. This is our confession of what we believe together. There are very significant parts within that creed, aren't there? We talk about the forgiveness of sins, Christ's resurrection, and we get really excited, as rightfully so, as we read those things. But there's a couple of sentences in there that are equally as important but could easily be glossed over because we don't see the significance. And one of those phrases in the creed is, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. In the church calendar, this last Thursday was 40 days after the resurrection that is called Ascension Sunday or Ascension Thursday, and then we celebrate that on Sunday. The Ascension is simply the physical presence of Christ, His physical body, leaving this earth and going back to heaven. Now, the early church understood that significance. It's why they put it in the creed, the Apostles' Creed. Now, some of you might be from the persuasion, though, of, yeah, but that's a man-made creed, and I believe no creed but the Bible. Well, it is based off the Bible, And it's just like a doctrinal statement. And it is a true statement, but also it is not just man-made from our own thoughts, but actually there is a creed even earlier from the Apostle Paul about the ascension of Christ. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifest in the flesh, that is, Jesus took on human form, he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed in the world, and what's that last line? Taken up into glory. And so what I want us to see for today is the implications that Jesus is not here anymore, and what that means, and actually the benefits 
of Christ not being presently here on earth for us as a church today. There are certain realities that are true that because Christ is no longer with us physically that we experience now and it's for our benefit. So where we're picking up today, the disciples have just experienced the death of Christ. They're hiding, they're nervous, rightfully so, and then Jesus shows up, verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and they thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands, look at my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see, I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his feet, while they were still amazed in disbelief because of their joy, they asked, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah must suffer, rise from the dead the third day, and repentance, <coughs> excuse me, for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you one, what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led him out of the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing on it. God, we love your word because your word has the power through your spirit to save, to instruct, to encourage, and to move us to better holiness, to live on mission, and to be more like you, Jesus. So we ask that you would do that through your word today in whatever place in every heart that this that is represented in this room this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Jesus is raised from the dead. After 40 days, he shows up to his disciples, and then he takes them out of Bethany to the Mount of Olives, where he is then received by a cloud and slowly is ascending back into heaven. Thank you. And while he is doing so, he is blessing them as he rises up. What's so interesting, though, is the response of his disciples after Jesus leaves. What's it say? They continually worshipped him with joy as they went back up into the city. Now that's kind of a strange response, isn't it? Kind of weird. If one of your best friends was leaving for a very long time, after they left, you don't go back and throw a party, do you? It's a little bit strange, their response. And it may be perhaps even stranger response is the first time that he tells them he's going to leave them He's uh, in John 16, verse 5 and 6, it says that they're overcome with great sorrow. They're very sad about Jesus leaving. And Jesus, when he shows up here in the text that we just read, he says, Why do doubts arise in their heart, in your hearts? 
But now there is this dramatic change. They are rejoicing. They are worshiping at Christ's exit. Why has this happened? Certainly, the understanding of the resurrection. Certainly, Christ opening their eyes to understand the scriptures. But finally, they understood the significance of Jesus leaving. I want to talk to us this morning about five benefits of Jesus leaving. Realities that would not be true if Jesus was still here. And the first one is this. The first benefit is we have complete salvation. We have complete salvation. Here's a couple of scriptures that show us this. Hebrews chapter 9 says this. For Christ has appeared as high priest of the good things that have come. The greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not from this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. How boss is that? Man, that is so cool. Having obtained eternal redemption. Same book, chapter 4 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And lastly, the first chapter in that book, verse 3, says this. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that very first verses that are there tells us that Jesus went into the most holy place in the heavens. Now in the Old Testament, there was a holy of holies. It went into the New Testament as well. But it was the one place that only the high priest could go one time a year where he would go on behalf of the sins of the people and represent the people to God. But the Holy of Holies on earth was actually a copy. It was a model of a real holy place, the Holy of Holies that existed in the throne room of God. I'm really getting into Formula One racing. Anyone else out there really like Formula One? Okay, I'm by myself on that. Great. But uh, I was really getting into it, and the other day I thought, you know, it'd be nice to kind of maybe have a couple of model Formula One cars in my office. And so I went on Amazon and was looking at these uh, small versions of the big cars, and I was about ready to purchase one, and this voice inside of my head said, you still have two years till you turn 40. Don't start collecting model cars yet, all right? And I took it out of my cart and I was like, okay, I'm going to wait a few more years, and then I'll be able to buy one of these cars and feel good about it, okay? Not yet. But I was looking at these cars, and it says, real rubber tires, everything exactly the same, as just like you see in the big cars. And I'm like, man, this is just a small version of the big thing. And the temple on earth, was the Holy of Holies, was a small version of the real thing. And when Jesus passed through the heavens at his ascension, he didn't go to the Holy of Holies that was on earth. He went up to the real one. And he didn't go with the blood of goats and sheep, but went with his very own blood. And he presents himself as the perfect high priest, which Emily read about just a few moments ago. And he makes full redemption, it says, for those who believe. Everything's been paid for. There's nothing left to do. There's no penance. There's not meeting God halfway. 
You can't do anything to make yourself right with God and have your sins forgiven except to believe that Jesus did it for you. And then it tells us that he sat down. That's significant, isn't it? When you're out mowing or doing yard work and you come back inside, what do you do when everything's done? You sit down. Crack open that beverage on the deck and you enjoy the work that you did as you look out at everything that you accomplished that day. Your work is complete. You know there was a lot of furniture in the temple but there were no chairs. That was on purpose. It was an intentional picture that the the work was never done. The priests were always sacrificing. They were, and they could never sit. Their work always continued, but when Jesus made a sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Meaning that everything was done, there was nothing left to do. Full redemption had been accomplished. So now Christ, in this moment, because of this, is seated, seated, what's the word there? Seated, right? Seated, thank you for that. I always mess up with the raised and the risen, seated, right now, at the right hand of God. And as he sits, he's working on your behalf still. Because I don't know about you, but although in spiritually, before God, my sins are taken care of, but is that the everyday, my life every day? Oh man, I'm, I can resonate with Paul that I'm one of the chief sinners, right? The reality of my identity in Christ completely forgiven, redemption taken care of, doesn't always match up with my life, does it? And yours as well. And so Jesus is seated and he's still working on our behalf. First John Chapter 2, verse 1 says, I write these things so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, a mediator or an advocate we have, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Which means that when the devil, who is accuser of the brethren, looks at you and goes, oh, you're such a sinner. He goes to God and he says, how can you actually call this person your child? Look how filthy they are. Look how wretched they are. They can't ever seem to get it right. And Jesus looks over at the devil and he says, do you notice my present posture, devil? I'm seated. And he looks over at the father and the father chuckles and he's like, he's sitting down. Everything's been paid for. It's done. It's complete. And they both give each other a divine high five at the work that they've done in redemption. And Jesus continues to work on our behalf while he is seated. We have complete redemption because Jesus is sitting down and he continues to work on our behalf. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Christ is seated, so you too are also seated. That's our second benefit this morning, is we have a seat. Ephesians 2, verse 6 says this. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Before you came to know Christ, and maybe you don't know Christ right now, this is the true reality of you. The Bible says you're in Adam. You're not in Christ. 
So everything that was true about Adam, the first person to live who was a sinner, is true of you, rejected, in sin, condemned. But when you come to know Christ, you are placed out of Adam and into Christ so that what is ever true of Jesus is now true of you, loved, accepted, completely righteous in the sight of God. And wherever he is, you are with him right now spiritually. So even now you're sitting, you're sit, sitting here on the east side of Des Moines. You are also seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You already possess eternal life right now. It's not something that you'll get in the future. You have complete security in Jesus. I was at Carver Hawkeye Arena at a uh, Iowa Hawkeyes basketball game. Anybody been there? Yeah, we got some Hawk fans in here. All right. I was there, and a couple of my buddies and I went down to the court to watch the teams. Uh, they were warming up. And we watched for quite a while. And then we noticed that there were some really nice plush seats that were right behind us on the court. And we looked at each other, looked back at these seats, and they said, let's sit here. We're like, well, that's not where our seats are. Now, this was many years ago, okay? I don't think I would do this now, all right? But back when I was less sanctified than I am now, we sat down in these seats. And we took in courtside seats at this game, and it was an amazing game. Plush, padded, I mean, it was absolutely extraordinary. But you know what was interesting? I couldn't fully enjoy the game because I always thought that I was going to lose my seat. Every time an usher came by, I was like, oh boy, this is it. He's going to ask for our tickets, guys, get ready. We're going to do the walk of shame back up to our seats in the nosebleeds. And then another guy would come down to the row and, you know, obviously was a season ticket holder. A lot, a lot more money than what we had. We're like, this is it. All right, guys, let's just get up. And he's like, taps us on the shoulder. He's like, I know. He's like, excuse me, can I get through to my seats on the other side? We're like, you betcha. Yep, our seat's right next to you. How convenient is this? We went the whole game and sat in those seats the whole time. But I could not watch the game in security because it wasn't my seat. And the other day I was up in Ames. Any uh, cyclones out there? Oh, yeah. Okay. And we were experiencing the Hilton magic. And I went with a season ticket holder who had amazing seats. And we sat in the second, third row and just took in the game in total and complete security. And I was just begging an usher to come ask me if I was in the right seat. <laughs> so that I could say, be gone. Away with you. This is my seat. The ticket has been punched. That didn't happen. But I was able to enjoy that game in total security because it was my seat. If you are in Christ, you have a seat with Christ. It can never be taken away, and you can live your life in total and complete security in Him. It can never be taken away from you because you didn't earn the seat. It was given to you. It's not your own strength that's keeping you down. It's the power of Christ that's keeping you in that seat. And because he is in the heavens, seated at the right hand of God, although you're here physically, you are also seated with him. I love catechisms, and one that I enjoy a lot is the Heidelberg Catechism. And if you've read a catechism before, it asks you a question. 
So to help you train kids and for your own heart, it asks you a question, and then it gives you an answer. And it says this, what is the benefit that we have of Christ's ascension? The answer is this, our flesh is in heaven with God. There is a human being seated next to the Father. Like you, like me. A human, fully human but yet fully God. And if God the Father accepted the Son in His humanity into heaven, He will also bring you in as well if you know Him and you're united to Him. There is a human being in heaven that has passed through the heavens that is fully God and fully man, and you have a seat with Him. Luke 24, in our text where we're at, look at verse 49. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Who is he speaking of here? Jesus, the one that he spoke of already in John chapter 16, where it's said of this. He said, I am, but I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I am leaving for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The third benefit of Christ leaving is we have a comforter. Or we have a helper. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit that will come and live in believers through faith. To seal you, to convict you of sin, to intercede for you, to power, empower you, to guide you into all truth by taking from what is his, that is God's, and making it known to you. And Jesus says, this is actually to your advantage that I go away. Really? I mean, how many of you think it would be so much better if Jesus was just sitting next to you? But Jesus says, it's better. J.D. Greer says, the spirit inside of you is better than having Jesus beside you. Do you believe that? Because Jesus was limited to a body, time, and space, but God, the Holy Spirit, is living in you. And we'll talk about the implications of that a little as we look on further in our text. But he is working and he's bringing you comfort in your deepest heartache, your deepest pain. God himself is living inside of you. Number four is we have a message. We have a message. Up until this part, for the most part, Jesus was doing all the sharing. He appeared over the 40 days, and what he was doing was he was weaning his disciples off of him and entrusting them and entrusting us with the message of the gospel. Look at verse 46, this message that we have. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer Rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you on the Father promise. Stay in the city from on high until you are empowered from on high. So what is the message that Jesus has given? Do you notice here that it's the same message that Paul preaches? It's the same message that the other apostles preach, and that is this, that Jesus had to suffer, that Jesus rose again 
for the forgiveness of sins. And that this message is to be received through repentance. That is to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And Jesus says, you are my witnesses of these things. When you receive the power from on high, you will share this message. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts is just a couple of pages over. And actually, Luke and Acts at the time and still are one book, but it was on one, they couldn't fit it all on one scroll. So perhaps it's like volume two of Luke's book, but he continues it to the same person, Theophilus, in the book of Acts, and he ends Luke with the ascension and continues in Acts with the ascension. Look at Acts chapter one. It'll be on the screen next to me if you don't have it. Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other ends of the earth. So when the power comes upon you, the gospel is going to go out of you. This is God's plan. Who's God's plan for sharing the gospel with humanity? You are. I am. It's you. It's me. And we have an opportunity this next week to go canvassing together to get the news out about the gospel to kids and to interact with families. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, no, 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 that ain't me. I ain't going. No way. Well, let me encourage you that there is a God that's living inside of you. And it's the same God, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And he can help you to do what seems extraordinary to be very ordinary in his strength. So I was with a friend, and we were going out, actually doing Vacation Bible School follow-up one time. And what we had done, and this is a great idea, we need to write this down, guys, is what we had done is we took a picture of each kid that came uh, behind a Vacation Bible School, in front of a Vacation Bible School background, so that afterwards, we could go out and give this picture to families of kids that came and said, it was great to have your kid here, thanks, how how did you hear about us? And we could follow up with parents in that way in a really cool way. Well, my friend had just come to know Christ just a couple of months before, and we were riding around together, delivering these pictures, knocking on doors, and saying hi to people. And he had just had knee surgery, and he's like on crutches, and he's got his knee like straight out in a brace. It it looks so pathetic, but he's like, I don't care. I just want to get out and share about this. And so we get up to this one house, and we pull up to to the front of the driveway, and we start to get out of our car. There's a guy that's grilling on his front deck. He sees us getting out of the car, and I don't know if he thought we were going to come try to sell pest control or whatever it was, but he stops, puts the grill down, and he runs inside. We're like, oh, maybe he just forgot something, right? So we walk up to the door, and we go and knock on the door. And like many of you, you're like, dude, I don't answer the door, right? And some of you are like, okay, yeah, I do, but this guy did not. And I was like, hey, he doesn't want to talk to us. And the guy's with the broken leg there is like, I don't care. He needs to hear about this message. He starts tapping on the door with his crutch, right? And, and uh, he's like, he is going to come out. And he never came out. And at this point, there's like a grease fire on the grill with his burgers just getting completely torched because he just left them on there. And so we took the picture of his daughter and we put it underneath his spatula on the grill and we left it for him to come out and see when he came outside. Now, was it a successful time? No, it wasn't. But was my friend able in the power of the Holy Spirit to do something extraordinary? Yeah. And we had times after that, we saw people come to know Jesus as a result. 
and the power of the Holy Spirit in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, you don't have to have Jesus beside you because God is living inside of you. And you are his witnesses to these things. Let's look at our final comfort together. It's found in Acts chapter, nine, verse, verses, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. As he said this, he was taken up. And as they were watching, a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood before them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. The last comfort this morning is this. Because Jesus has left, he's going to come again. We have a returning Savior. He can't return unless he leaves, right? We have a returning Savior. So they're watching Jesus go up, and all of a sudden he disappears. And can you imagine how freaky this is? You're looking up in the sky, and all of a sudden a dude walks up next to you with dazzling clothes and goes, what are you looking at? It's like, oh, right. It's like, that's scary, isn't it? These angels show up, and they say to him, why are you looking up into the heavens? Don't you know that the same way that he, de- that he ascended, he's going to descend one day. He's going to come back, and in the meantime, you got some work to do. We got some work to do. You know, guys, this is the era that we are living in right now. That moment, it's still the same reality. Jesus is left, and we are waiting for his return. And his return should motivate godly living, should motivate our witness, should change everything if we have a returning Savior. This probably isn't true of your kids, but it's true of mine, that it's often hard to motivate them to clean the house, isn't it? No, that's just true of mine, right? Never, not with yours. Yeah, okay. So sometimes it's really hard to get them motivated, actually. And they're like, oh, my goodness, do we really have to clean? But when grandma and grandpa are coming to visit, it's a different story. Because they're from out of state. And all of a sudden, there's a new motivation to get the house clean. And you know what's wild? Is while they're working, they're waiting and anticipating their grandparents' arrival. So they're cleaning up, and every 30 seconds they hear like a, something outside, and they go, oh, nope, it's not them. They keep cleaning up. They go over the next thing, they hear something else outside, it's like, oh, it's not them. They keep going, right? They start vacuuming, and they're like, wait, I hear something. Turn the vacuum off. Nope, it's not them. But it motivates. See, they, they work while they wait. And the return of Christ should cause us to work really hard, to not sit around idly. But as we work, we're waiting. Say, oh, is Christ returned? Nope, let's keep going, keep going. It motivates, the, their, uh, his arrival motivates our present work. I mean, Peter says that. If all these things are to take place, what kind of people should we be in holiness and honor? Right? The return of Christ should motivate the church of Christ to keep on going. Because one day Jesus is returning. He really is. And I like to think about the Trinity is in heaven together. The Father has chosen those for salvation. Jesus is sitting on the throne because everything's already been paid. They're watching as the church does their work as they share the good news of the gospel around the globe. The Holy Spirit is awakening hearts to receive the message. And all of a sudden the Father says, that's it. 
That's the last person to get saved. The fullness of the Gentiles has come. Get down there, Jesus. And Jesus jumps off his throne. And he returns, coming back. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to rule and reign. And so we'll forever be with Jesus. So in that time, in the in-between, we work. And as we wait, we work hard in the power of the Holy Spirit. The ascension Jesus' leaving encouraged and turned these sad, doubting disciples into bold, worshiping, rejoicing people. It should do the same for us. Do you have these things in your life? If these are true of you, it should change the way that you live. That salvation is complete. You have a seat you have a comforter in your hardest and darkest moments that's also empowering you to share the message, the good news of Jesus, and we have a returning Savior. This message, if you don't have these things, is being offered to you. You don't, you don't have to try anymore to make yourself right with God or to earn salvation. You simply believe, and you can live a life of security, of comfort, doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. And be involved in sharing this message as we confidently wait for the Christ's return. If you don't know him, won't you trust him today? If you do know him, won't you live in the realities of this presently today? So I had some good friends who uh, recently went away to the mission field. And we didn't want to see him go, but we did want to see him go. You know that feeling? Like, I remember dropping them off at the airport, and we were sad to see them go, but knew that so much more was going to be accomplished if they left. And as a result of them leaving, it motivated us to do more as they were gone, knowing that it's to our benefit, to the world's benefit, that they left. And it spurred us on to godliness, to live on mission where we are. And knowing that one day we'll see each other again and we'll be reunited and we'll share about all the things that God has done while they, they were away. Christ is returning. Let's work hard as we wait. Let's pray together.